morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Jeremiah 31. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the foyer, and you're welcome to grab one now or on your way out. Um, We encourage you to read it as much as you possibly can. But we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 37 this morning. Um, Some might argue that this is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. Certainly in the Old Testament, um, it's actually referred to multiple times in the New Testament, um, even by Jesus on the night before he uh, died on the cross. He made reference to this passage. And so it's, it's crucial for us to think about and to understand and to meditate on. Um, just to, to remind you, as we've been going through the book of Jeremiah, much of Jeremiah is, is the prophet Jeremiah warning the people, telling the people that they need to repent because they haven't been listening to God and they haven't been loving God and loving others as they should, as, as God calls them to. They haven't been living in a relationship with God as they should. Um, they've been ignoring him, and they've been thinking primarily of themselves. And, and because of that, Jeremiah has been warning them that God is going to bring judgment upon them through the nation of Babylon, that Babylon is going to come and conquer them and even carry them away into exile. And last week we looked at Jeremiah 29, where uh, God is talking about even in in spite of the fact that, that my judgment is going to come upon you and you're going to be taken into exile, I will restore you and I will bring you back and I will show you my love. And, and over the next couple chapters, he talks about how he's going to turn their mourning into joy. That's what these, these last couple chapters have, have been all about, how God is committed to, to taking his people and turning their mourning into joy in spite of the fact that they have uh, sinned against him. And so this morning, it, it kind of culminates, this, these passages culminate in this passage right here in Jeremiah 31, where he talks about making a new covenant, a new relationship with people. So listen to God's word as I read from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 37. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, 
Then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us as we look at this passage this morning and that you would work by your spirit in our hearts. That you would write your law, that you would write your truth upon our hearts. And that we would truly be changed people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard somebody say, or maybe you've used the phrase before, you know, this is why we can't have nice things. Have you ever said that before? (laughs) Maybe someday in the future it's going to change, but uh, that is said quite often in our house. Um, I was... uh, the other, just a couple days ago, I was standing in our, in our entryway in our house, and Nano, our seven-year-old, he says to me, Daddy, there's a lot of broken things in this house. <laughs> and I said, yes, Nano, there is. He was, he was looking at basically a place where somebody had removed the doorstop and then slammed the door into the wall, so there's like a hole in the wall from the doorknob, you know? There's actually a couple rooms where that is the case in our house. Um, there's also, you know, holes in walls where somebody's like kicked a wall and stuff like that. I mean, when, when you live in a house that's full of boys, you just, you just can't have nice things, you know? They're incapable of, of not destroying something at some point. And it's not just the little kids, you know? I'm, I'm sure some of you guys are aware, our, our 21-year-old Silas, um, just a few years ago, some of you guys know the story of how he, he made a dent in our ceiling with his head <laughs> in the living room ceiling just to prove that he could. Nobody believed that he could jump and, and, and make a, you know, touch the ceiling with his head, and that's exactly what he did. So this is why we can't have nice things. This is why we can't have nice things. Um, the Israelites have proven themselves incapable of having nice things as well at this point in the Old Testament. I mean, think of the nice things that they have been given by God. God has given them this land to provide for them to bring joy to them. He's, he's given them children and made them into a nation that is strong and healthy at points. And more than those things, he's given them himself. You know, he's given them himself. He, he said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. He's committed himself to them. And The fancy word for that idea of God committing himself to his people is this word covenant. This word covenant, and it's used throughout the Old Testament. The the idea of a covenant was very familiar to the people back then. When when two groups of people or nations of people, families, would would often make covenants with one another. And a covenant would be an agreement to, to enter into a relationship with one another where they would make promises to one another. They would have obligations to one another. They would commit to being in relationship to each other. And they would expect each other to uphold, you know, their side of the commitment. And, and so uh, the, 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 that world was very familiar with the idea of covenant. And so when God talked to the Israelites about how he wanted to relate to them and how they should relate to him, he used this idea of covenant. This idea of, of being in an agreement of, uh, where, where we promise to, to care for each other and love each other, where, where we place demands on one another. 
And so throughout the Old Testament, you see these different moments where God actually talks about, this is the covenant I'm going to make with you. Like when he talks, when he, he makes a covenant with Abraham and his offspring um, back in Genesis. And he, and he makes a covenant with Moses and the people when Moses comes out, with, he leads the people out of Egypt, right? And then goes to Mount Sinai. He makes a covenant with David, with King David, saying that he would always have uh, a descendant to sit on his throne. He makes these covenants throughout the Old Testament, and, and he makes these covenants saying, I am going to enter into a relationship with you, and I'm going to be committed to you, and I expect you to, I'm, I'm going I'm to act as a husband. I'm, I'm going to love you and be faithful to you. And yet, Israel, the people of Israel, over and over and over again, break the covenant. They're unfaithful to God, in spite of the fact that he is absolutely faithful to them. They fail to love him. They fail to live out the covenant in the way that they treat each other as they use one another, as they, uh, as they hurt one another, as they think only of themselves and live for themselves. And so they've, they've broken the covenant and they've proven that they cannot have nice things, particularly a covenant, a relationship with the living God. But then in these chapters in Jeremiah, God begins to talk about how he's going to forgive them and start afresh. And what he says here is that he's going to establish a new covenant with them. And this new covenant that, uh, that he makes a promise, he says, the days are coming when I'm going to make this new covenant with you, with the, the people of Israel. This new covenant doesn't just apply to them. It absolutely applies to us. The fulfillment of the new covenant. We are living in that now. And so it's important that we understand it. And so what I want to talk about this morning just is, is two things. First, the necessity of the new covenant, the why, why this new covenant is needed. And secondly, the newness of the new covenant. What makes it new? How is this covenant that he promises here in Jeremiah different than the covenants that he's made before with his people? Okay? So first of all, um, the necessity of the new covenant. The Israelites were in need of God to establish a new relationship with them, to, to make a new promise to them of a new covenant. Um, he says in, in verse 31, he's going to make a new covenant which is not like the old one that the people broke. They broke. The old covenant was broken. The, the covenant that he's specifically referring to here is in verse 23. It says, it's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, right? That's the covenant that he's specifically talking to, the old covenant. The covenant that he's talking to about is the covenant with Moses, when Moses led the people out of Egypt, when God heard their cries and he, and he visited them and he rescued them, he showed them his love and his grace, and then he brought them to Mount Sinai and he gave them his commands. He gave them the Ten Commandments, right? And so this is the covenant. The covenant is, is the fact that he's, he's come down and rescued his people and demonstrated his love to them, and then he's, he's given them his law, and he says, this is how you need to live in relationship with me now after he's already, you know, demonstrated his love for them, after he's already rescued them and set them free from their slavery in Egypt, he says, okay, these are the laws that you need to obey and listen to if you want to relate to me well. And so that covenant consisted of basically God's grace, where he pulls them out of Egypt, but also God's commands. He tells them, this is how you need to live. And yet, they broke that covenant. That wasn't enough for them to, to be able to live in a healthy relationship with, relationship with God. Just hearing God say he loves them and having commands, knowing what he wants them to do, that wasn't enough. 
Because the problem is sin. Every single one of them, every single one of the Israelites, no matter how, how, how clear God's instructions were, they were incapable, of, they, they were morally incapable of doing what God called them to do, of, of doing what God wanted them to do. They were morally incapable of listening to him and paying attention to him. They were morally incapable of actually listening to, to love others, to put others before themselves. They were morally incapable of it. It was, it. it was impossible for them to actually keep that covenant. And that hasn't changed throughout history. Every single one of us, we, we talk, we've been talking about how the heart is so important, the, the part that's deep down under the surface of our lives that directs everything else of our lives, that part of us is broken. We've all turned inward on ourselves and, and away from God. And, and so for God to just give us commands and that's it, we cannot keep them. We're going to break those commands every time. We're incapable. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with the, the, toy, um, the, the toys called Transformers. You guys know what Transformers are? If you, you know, back in the 80s, they had the, the TV show, The Transformers, Robots in Disguise. You know, if you're not familiar with them, it's a, it's a robot that then you can transform. You can move all the pieces around and transform it into a car or a truck or a plane or a spaceship. And it's, I mean, they're awesome toys because, you know, you have, you have two in one, right? But in my experience, our kids love Transformers. But without fail, a Transformer, the better it is, you know, the more intricate it is and, and cool it is, it always gets broken because it's complicated and figure, you know, you have to, you have to move everything around in just the right order. And then there comes this point where you have to like gently like nudge something under something else. And, and a kid is incapable of transforming this thing on a regular basis without breaking it within the first few days. I mean, I say kids, I've broken a few arms off myself trying to help our kids transform the transformers. Um, we're incapable, uh, you know, people are incapable of actually playing with a transformer. And in the same sense, this covenant that God gave his people of law, of rules, of commands, the people were incapable of holding up their end of the obligation. They were incapable of loving God above all else. They were incapable of loving others as they loved themselves. They were incapable of it. And they broke that covenant. And that's why a new covenant was needed. Because the old covenant, as great as it was in helping the people understand God's desire to, to, to be in relationship with them, as good as it was for them understanding what was important to God and, and what he valued, it wasn't enough to help them to actually live in relationship with God. Okay? And so they needed a new covenant. And similarly, we need that new covenant as well. We're incapable. Just having God's rules isn't enough. And yet a lot of us try to live our lives like that. A lot of us try to live our lives just thinking, okay, as long as I, I have the, enough rules to try to follow in my life, I'll, I can be a better person. As long as I try really hard to be really self-disciplined, I can maybe be more kind. Or I can kind of listen to people better. Or I can maybe be more co compassionate or I can maybe you know, focus more on, on being just in, in my relationships or whatever. It's not enough. Just trying really hard to be kind isn't enough. We can't do that. We can't. And so we need something else from God. We need something more. We need something new. And that's, and that's what he promises here in Jeremiah 30, 31. That's what he promises the people. He promises them a new covenant and he describes the new covenant in verses 33 and 34. And 
To help us understand the differences, the newness of the new covenant, we also have to, I think it's, it's good to understand what's the same about this covenant as the covenants before, okay? Because there's continuity and there's discontinuity. There's things that are the same with the new covenant and the old covenants that God made with the people, and there's some things that are new. So what, what's the same? What is similar about this covenant and the old ones? There's a, there's a few things. I mean, one, there's this, this basic promise at the heart of it all where he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. If you read through the Old Testament, you notice God saying that more than once. Throughout the Old Testament, God is constantly making this promise as he enters into covenant with his people, saying, this is, this is the, the big promise I'm making to you. I'm going to be yours, and you're going to be mine. You know, it's, it's kind of like a marriage relationship in a sense, right? They, they're, they're committing to, to, to belong to one another. There's this affection, this love, this commitment to, to enjoy one another. I'm going to be yours. You're going to be mine. There's this commitment to say, you can count on me. I'm going to be yours. You're going to be mine. So that's, that hasn't changed. That's like central to God's promise to his people throughout history. The big promise is I will be yours and you will be mine. This promise of, of intimacy, of real committed relationship one to another. Um, there's also, he mentions the law here, right? I talked about the law when he gave the law to Moses. That was another aspect of all of the covenants, that the, the law was important. The law is how God revealed what was important to him, what he valued, and how he wanted the people to live. And so the law was an aspect of all of the covenants, you know, beginning even with, with Abraham, when he made a covenant with Abraham, he told Abraham how he wanted Abraham to live, how he wanted Abraham to obey him. And then it just got way more detailed when he appeared to the people on Mount Sinai and he gave Moses the Ten Commandments and then all of these laws to live by. So the law was something that was still just as important in the New Covenant as the Old Covenant. It's just as important to understand that the law tells us how God wants us to live. The law gives us a sense of what a relationship with God, the demands that a relationship with God places on us. Okay? So the law is still an aspect of the new covenant. Um, and then one other thing I would highlight is that forgiveness is an aspect of, of the covenants. I mean, ever since the first people lived um, and sinned against God, all people have been living in defiance of who God is and what he wants for them. And so in order to, for anyone to live in relationship with God, forgiveness was required. In order for anyone to, to enter into a healthy relationship with God, they needed to seek God's forgiveness and God needed to give it to them. So, so that was included in all the, other, all the other covenants. I mean, you think about the Mosaic covenant, the covenant with Moses and the people. Um, like he gives them the Ten Commandments, but then you have all of these rules, right, in Leviticus. And a lot of those rules had to, be the, had to do with ceremonial worship. And over and over again, he said, if you do this, then what do you need to do? You need to bring a sacrifice, you need to bring a sacrifice and have a, the priest make the sacrifice to atone for your sins so that you can be forgiven, right? You cannot come before me unless your sin is dealt with, unless you are forgiven. And so that, that was an aspect of, of all of God's dealings with his people. People can't come into the presence of God without forgiveness. And yet the old covenant talked about how, you know, you, you, you had to achieve this forgiveness by bringing a sacrifice, by bringing it to the priest. And they had, you know, you had to continually think about, okay, what did I do? How have I sinned? What's going wrong? Okay, I need to come and bring the sacrifice in order to make it right, in order to be forgiven. So those are kind of three central things, I think, that, that of, of, of continuity of the old covenant and the new covenant, okay? 
But then, so then what is new about the new covenant? What is new that he talks about here? Well, one thing that is new, a big change, seems to have to do with the law, but it's the power for obedience. Okay, before in the old covenant, God had declared his love and had worked on behalf of his people, but then he said, okay, here are the rules to live by. Here are my commands. And as I said before, just having the commands isn't enough for the people. So what does God do here? What does he say here? He says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. Instead of just giving us commands, God is taking ownership, in a sense, of these commands taking root in our hearts. God is taking responsibility for our ability to live these commands out. This is an incredible promise here. You know, he says, I'm not just going to give you the commands. I'm going to actually work in the depths of who you are in order to enable you to actually start living consistently with my commands. I'm going to do it by my power. That's an astounding promise. That, uh, I mean, for, for those of us who understand how impossible it is to actually do what we know we should do, this is an incredible promise that God says, I am going to work in you. You aren't destined to fail. You're destined to be changed. And that's good news. That's, that's what's new about the new covenant. God takes responsibility for saying, I am going to change you. I'm going to write something new inside of you. I'm going to make you different. And then there's another kind of difference here when he says in verse 34, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. This is kind of hard to, to grasp, I think, but, but I think what he's saying here, he's not saying that there's going to come a time when, when you know, we don't have to learn from one another about who God is. But I think what he's emphasizing here, he, he emphasizes this kind of widespread, you know, no, no matter what, who you are or what different group you are part of, you know, from, from the, uh, what does he say? They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. There's going to be this widespread experience of God, this widespread understanding of God. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about how in Jeremiah, when he talked about knowing the Lord, that knowledge wasn't just kind of knowing God and, and kind of knowing more about God. It was actually a knowledge that was lived out in how you loved other people. When he talks about knowing God, he's also talking about living in a way that, that is loving and compassionate and just in your relationships and in your work and in your family. And so when he says, everybody's going to know me from the least to the greatest, he's, I think he's talking about this kind of widespread transformation of a community of people where you're regularly seeing you know, these, these people laying down their lives for one another, loving one another in radical, extravagant ways, living for one another rather than living for themselves. I think that's what he's talking about here, this, this community that is like a radical representation of the knowledge of God. No matter who you are, from the least to the greatest, you are going to see evidence of God 
in the way that they're interacting with one another. And that's part of the new covenant. You know, the old covenant that, 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 that they were living under, what, what, what was Jeremiah criticizing the people for? They were living for themselves. They were deceiving one another. They were hurting one another. They were using one another, right? And so this new covenant is going to come with, as, as God changes people in the depths of who they are, as he changes a community of people, it's going to look glorious. It's going to look glorious in the way that they're loving one another. Um, just last night, uh, the, the men got together, uh, a few of the men got together and watched the, the last episode of Band of Brothers, and, and I love the way the Band of Brothers ends, which is, it's this, this story about the, they follow the, um, these, these paratroopers in World War II, right? And they, you know, there's, there's a lot of ugliness throughout, throughout it all, and it's hard to watch, and yet there are so many moments where guys are laying down their lives for each other, and, and it's amazing, and, and doing these heroic deeds, this is one of the things we talked about last night, is at the very end of the whole series, um, they interview the, the main guy that this, this is all based on. I think he wrote a book that it's all based on, Richard Winters. And, and he talks about how his grandkid once asked him, you know, were you a hero during the war? And Richard Winters answered his grandson. He said, no, I wasn't a hero, but I served in a company of heroes. And every time I watch that, like, it like gets me right here, you know, like, like he, he was completely unaware of anything amazing that he did, he did, but he was, he was, he had the sense of being surrounded by this community of brothers who were doing heroic things constantly. And I think that is, is kind of an illustration of the, of, of the community of God that he promises here from the least to the greatest there are going to be people who are doing heroic acts, laying down their lives, loving one another, putting each other before themselves. That's a big aspect of the new covenant. And finally, the last thing I want to mention is a big change in the new covenant or the newness of the new covenant is, has to do with forgiveness. I said forgiveness is something that was always part of these covenants that God made with his people. But up until now, People were very aware, you know, okay, this is what I've done or, or this is how I've been contaminated or how I've become unclean and I, I need to go to the priest and I need, to, and I need to, uh, to bring the right sacrifice to atone for my sin. I always need to be keeping track of, of, of all of my sin in order, in order to atone for it. But then he says this here at, in, in uh, verse 34, at the end of verse 34, right? He says, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. There's this finality to this promise of this new covenant about forgiveness. There's this decisiveness of this forgiveness, right? I will remember their sin no more. Now, what does he mean when he says, I will remember their sin no more? I don't think it means that he's going to just automatically make himself, God's going to make himself have amnesia and he's going to forget anything that happened. I think the, the reality, what he's talking about here is that when he says he's going to remember their sin no more, is he, when he thinks of you, he's not going to treat you. Um, he's not going to treat you based on your sin. He, he's going to treat you based on something else entirely. He's not going to treat us according to our sin at all. It's not that he's going to forget, but he's just going to, he's going to, he's going to treat us differently as if we've never sinned. He's going to love us as if we've never sinned. He's going to delight in us as if we've never sinned. 
I will remember your sin no more. Sin isn't something that the people are going to have to be like, oh my gosh, I, like I got to be keeping track. I got to be keeping track because I got to make sure I got to pay. Or I got to make sure I got I to do this to balance it out. He's like, I'm going to remember your sin no more. That's not going to be an issue. That's not going to be a factor in my relationship with you anymore at all. This is an amazing promise. This is an amazing promise. And that's what it is. He's talking about something in the future that's going to happen, right? He says in verse 31, behold, the days are coming. The days are coming. He makes this promise to the Israelites. And so what did this do for the Israelites? For the Israelites, they would be, they would be like, well, first of all, in a very basic way, they would, they would hear this promise and they would say, oh, it would be encouraging to hear that, that God's not going to give up on them, right? That even though they've broken the old covenant, that God is going to make something new. He's going to continue to love them. He's going to continue to work on their behalf. He's going to continue to care for them and be committed to them. But, but then there's also this, this aspect of like, they'd be, they'd be waiting though, wouldn't they? They'd be like, oh man, when is this going to happen? Am I seeing it happen yet? Is God actually working? Has, is, he, is he helping me to actually, is he writing the law in my heart? There's this kind of aspect of waiting when am I going to actually experience this? Are we experiencing it now? I don't know. It'd be this kind of this, this, this expectation that God has built into the people for a vision of something incredible, right? And God fulfills this expectation when Jesus arrives. And we know this because Jesus makes reference to the new covenant, right? Um, the night before Jesus died, we actually remind ourselves every single week of Jesus' reference to this when he says, uh, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. These are some amazing promises here. And what we need to see is that with the coming of Jesus, these promises are here. We can experience them now with the coming of Jesus. In, in the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, this passage is actually quoted in the book of Hebrews. And, and in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the mediator of this covenant. He spells it out for us. He gives us the answer. He says, you know this covenant that everybody was waiting for? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one that we will experience these things through. He is the mediator. If you want to experience a forgiveness from God that is so radical that you don't even have to think about God thinking about your sin, then it, it happens through the work of Jesus, through, through Jesus' perfect obedience and his death on the cross and his resurrection. If you have received that for yourself, then you, can, you don't even have to, to think about your sin impacting your relationship with God. You can know that he delights in you. He's not keeping score. He's not keeping track. He loves you because of what Christ has done. There's a radical sense of of assurance of God's love and forgiveness. And if you've received Christ, you can also know that God has, has, has and is doing something supernatural in you today. He is writing something at the depths of your soul to make you different to make you new, to enable you to actually obey him, to actually love him, and to love the people around you. You have have the power because God has promised to do that through you. 
You don't have to live with a sense of defeat, like I'm, I'm never going to change. I'm never going to get past this. God has promised. And he has, through Christ, he has begun to accomplish this right here. And through Christ, because of the work of Christ, we have the opportunity to experience living in a community of heroes, of people who are being changed, of people who are laying down their lives for each other, who are doing radical acts. Maybe we're not seeing them all the time. Maybe we're not seeing them a lot of the time, who are doing radical acts of of just kindness and love for one another and those outside of the church as well. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, he talks about the fact that Christ has written upon your hearts with the spirit of the living God. We have this promise fulfilled where God has done a supernatural work in us. His spirit is writing the law in our hearts so that truly, no matter how hard it is to obey God's commands, you can listen. You can do it by the spirit. As I said before, you are not destined to fail. And so what, what does this require from us? This requires from us an, an attitude towards God that says, I, I, I want you to write something new in my heart. I want to surrender to your, to, your, uh, to your editorial choices for what I choose to love and pursue, for how I speak, for how I listen, to what I think about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to surrender to your creative control for the story that's being written today in my family, with my spouse, with my friends, with my parents, with the kids I, I sit with around the lunch table at school. I'm gonna surrender to your creative choices, God, because I know that you are doing something. Are we gonna believe that? Are we gonna believe that the spirit of God is actually working in us? If you struggle to believe it, if you, if you have some doubts, the end of this passage gives us some encouragement, a reminder to trust him, a reminder to believe. In verses 35 to 37, I'm just going to pick up on, on one of the things, but he says, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. When he talks about the offspring of Israel, he's talking about the people of Israel, yes, but he's talking about the church, the church. We are the fulfillment of Israel today. We are children of Abraham. As we have the faith of Abraham, as we trust God like Abraham did, we are the offspring of Israel. And this is the promise that he makes to us. He says, he, he takes these... these uh, these, these word pictures, these illustrations, and what are the illustrations? He takes things from creation. What does he, t- what does he, what does he show us? What does he remind us of? He takes the sun and the, and the moon and the stars, and he says, if these things, you know, that, that you can, you know, if you've lived for however, however many years you've lived, the sun, without fail, continues to come up every day, right? Without fail, every day, except on cloudy days when you can't see it, you know it's there. Every day, every day the sun sets. At consistent times during the month, you see the moon and you see stars all in their fixed places. And God says, just as those never fail, I will never fail. If you want to be reminded that this promise is actually something you can count on, 
then look at the sun. You ever use a post-it note to remind yourself of, to do something? You know, usually post-it notes are kind of like bright neon colors. The sun and the moon are God's post-it notes for us. I mean, a lot of times we look at the sun and the moon, we see a sunrise, a sunset, and we're just kind of like, oh, that's beautiful. We admire it. We admire it for like what God has done to create something beautiful. But actually here, God says, I want you to look at the sun and the moon, and I want you to be reminded that I've forgiven you, and I will remember your sins no more. So if you take nothing else from the sermon, I want you, every time you notice the sun, every time you notice a beautiful sun, sunrise or a sunset, every time you, you know, sometimes you're driving down the road and you see the moon and it looks unusually big or something, and it's amazing, you're like, wow, that's incredible. That's a post-it note from God saying, I'm real and my spirit is in you. And it is working. He is working powerfully to make you new. And I won't fail you. I won't fail you. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you would help us to believe these promises. And, and, we, and we struggle because even these promises, the fulfillment, as we've said, with the coming of Jesus, these have been fulfilled. And yet there is more to these promises. We know when Jesus returns, um, that there will be an even deeper change and experience of your spirit, an even uh, more intimate experience of the fact that you are our God and we are your people. But Father, at this moment in time today, help us. Help us to believe how real you are and how much you love us and the fact that you, have, that you will remember our sins no more because of what Jesus has done for us. We thank you, Father, for this day, for the fact that the sun has risen. And because of that, we can know that you won't fail us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, please stand once again. Mm -hmm.